Well, hey, good morning. As you make your way back, grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you would, let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you're able, please stand. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of the blue Bibles all throughout the room. Turn to page 964. Uh, If you're just new here, we stand for the reading of God's Word. So if you are able, please stand. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We're finishing up our series on virtue and vice. We're going to be looking at envy and mercy. Go to page 964 in that blue hardback Bible. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word out in front of them. We're into Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, and then we're going to look at one verse in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, welcome to Javel Prez. My name is Dustin. If we haven't met, I get to be the lead pastor here. Uh, let's listen to the words of Jesus on envy and mercy from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord, friend. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Then look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. From the famous Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open in front of you in your lap as we pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would give us the mind of Christ this morning, Lord, that we would let go of envy. And Lord, that we would be people marked by receiving mercy and extending mercy. Lord, we thank you for what Easter morning means and the hope that it gives us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you've been hanging with us for the last few weeks during Lent, we've been going through uh, seven vices and seven virtues and seeing how they relate to each other. But I've been suggesting for weeks that almost all of the classic seven deadly sins, vices, have actually all been turned around to be virtues. Uh, Ferdinand Mount famously said, greed has nowadays been rebranded as retail therapy. Anger is simply being authentic about your feelings. Sloth is just me time. Gluttony is just being a foodie. But here's the funny thing. As much as we may think, nobody I can think of wants to be called envious. How could you ever put a positive spin on envy? Surely that's not a virtue today. Well, if you can't believe it, this is a true story. I was in Trader Joe's just a few weeks ago, and I came across, you guessed it, some fruit. Some of you have been here for the past few weeks, and I am not lying to you. I bought these beautiful organic apples from Trader Joe's, and they are now branded Envy Apples. These are Envy Apples. Can you believe it? That's literally what they're called. Some marketer somewhere in the world, probably Seattle, decided to call... These Envy Apples at Trader Joe's, I think our own Kenny Horton wrote down the apple other apples wish they were. (laughs) The reason I bring up fruit every week is because our sermon series is called A Tree by Its Fruit. Jesus says that. We'll know what people are like by the fruit of their lives. So the question I guess we need to be asking ourselves is do our hearts produce Envy Apples or do we produce mercy? 
What does it even mean to be envious? How, how could envy ruin relationships? What is the remedy for envy? What is envy after all? Well, uh, I thought the easiest way to explain what envy is is to tell you a joke. So I've paraphrased this joke, and if you, if you laugh at the joke, I think you can kind of understand envy. If you don't understand the joke, you probably don't understand envy. Uh, the joke kind of goes like this. Long ago, three people from a quaint Irish village come upon a magic genie, right? And because there's three different people, he says they only get one wish each. So the first person comes up, a woman, and she says that her older brother had inherited the beautiful family home. So the woman says she would like her own beautiful family home, only though she would like a home with a beautiful stream going through the property. The second person, a young man, tells the genie that his best friend had just married a beautiful blonde wife, and he too would like a beautiful wife, only as an Irishman, he wants a redhead. The last person, a middle-aged man who had been silently stewing as the two others told their wish, told the genie that his neighbor had the greatest milk cow in the whole of Ireland. So he said he wanted his neighbor's cow dead. <laughs> That's the joke. That's it. If you're worried about the cow, you're focusing on the wrong part of the joke. It's a fictional genie. It's a fictional cow. Dorothy Sayers, uh, the great novelist from England, wrote, Envy is the great leveler. If it cannot level things up, it will level them down. At its best, envy is a climber and a snob. At its worst, it is a destroyer. Rather than having anyone happier than itself it will see us all miserable together. Envy uh, infects the hearts of young people and old people alike. Melissa Dahl, writing for New York Magazine, uh, cites a study which shows that young people generally under the age of 30 often envy their friends the most. They envy their friends' looks. They envy their friends' status. And of course, they envy their friends' what? Romantic relationships. I'm reminded uh, just recently a friend of ours posted an old photo of her engagement on her social media post, and one of our mutual friends commented, you make me sick. <laughs> Envy affects not just young people, it affects older people. In the New York Magazine, though, it's interesting, though, as people get older, they stop envying their friends' looks, probably because they keep seeing their friends. And by the end of their life, the only thing they envy is their friend's money. Uh, now, we need to probably distinguish for just a second the, the difference between envy and jealousy. You know, sometimes we use those words interchangeably, and it's hard to know which, what, is, what is envy again. Uh, well, jealousy, the easiest way to think about it, means strong feeling. Uh, jealousy can also be translated as zealot or zeal, right? Zeal, jealousy, they kind of sound the same. And, and, and jealousy is a sense of protection of something that you rightfully own. So, so if I, you know, have a, a family or a home or a wife, and my jealousy is protecting the thing that I have a right claim to. But envy is this other thing that we struggle with in our hearts. Envy is not just protecting what's ours. Envy is the resentment in our hearts, regarding someone else's good fortune. It's seeing a milk cow and resenting the neighbor for having it. 
This is why young people can often refer to their friends as frenemies. Have you heard that phrase? It's both a friend and an enemy. That's why you can grow up with a best friend and you can hate them every minute you, you hang out with them because you are envious towards them. Envy is not simply seeing what somebody else has and wanting one for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Envy is that sense of resentment when you stare at the person because they have what you want, right? It's that sense when you're waiting too long at line at Dutch Bros and the person gets a huge drink and you just wish your eyeballs could shoot lasers and blow up their mocha in their face because <laughs> they're getting in your way. I want you to keep that idea of a stare, stare, the stare of envy in your mind, because this is how Jewish people talk about envy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, what in the world, why is Jesus talking about eyes and bad eyes and good eyes and darkness and light? Well, if you were to look down at Matthew chapter 6 in your lap, you'll see that actually Jesus is talking about possessions. He goes on and says, your life is more than your possessions. It's not, you cannot serve God and money. So what is he talking? Why is he talking about eyeballs in the context of possessions? Well, the answer, friend, uh, you may not realize this, though, is that in Jewish thought, in Jesus' day and all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the evil eye is not some curse that you put on somebody. The evil eye is the stare when greed and envy darkens our vision. And envy is a darkness because we never talk about our envy, do we? Have you ever told your best friend how much you hate her because she's so beautiful? Have you ever told your friend how much you hate him because his truck is cooler than yours? We suffer alone in our envy. Envying is, someone, is envying someone else's good fortune and resenting them for it. Uh, another example of this is in, in Matthew chapter 20, if you were to flip through uh, the gospel, it's fascinating. Jesus tells this story about people who are hired. It's the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And you don't necessarily need to read it right now, but if you go home and you read it, it's fascinating because this very wealthy man hires people to work all throughout the day. But everyone at the end of the day gets paid the same amount. Even people who only showed up for the last hour of work. And the people who have been working all morning and day long, when they see other people getting good fortune, getting paid the same amount, they get angry and they resent them. And in the parable, in Matthew 20, verse 15, the owner looks at them and he says, do you begrudge my generosity? But that's not actually literally what he says. What he literally says to the people is he says, is your eye bad? because I am good? Are you giving your coworkers the evil eye? Gives a whole new meaning now to why Jesus can say to pluck your eyeballs out if they cause you to sin. So what I want to suggest to you this morning then, friend, is that uh, the reason I hope you're here is not because you need to come to me for some kind of new life advice or some new habit. Uh, don't dismiss Jesus that easily. He won't let you that option. Jesus is not here to give you new life hacks. 
In fact, what Jesus Christ has the audacity to teach each one of us is that sin is not just a bad habit. It is a wound on our soul, and it takes the great physician to heal our souls. Uh, The answer that the world will give you and I is often just look at your heart, be true to your heart, and then you'll know what to do. Then you won't be envious anymore. But friends, this flies in the face of the message of Jesus Christ which says that out of the heart flows sin. Uh, It's not as simple as just saying, well, look at your heart and you'll know to do the right thing. Uh, Maybe you don't find this funny. And uh, you didn't think my cow joke was funny. So I don't know, maybe you'll find this one better. I don't know. I do have a strange sense of humor. But, you know, when I think about looking inward, I think about this wonderful comic. I don't know if you can read the words, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, this mother's looking at her young son. He kind of looks like Nathan Metter a little bit, doesn't he? The mother's saying... This is a difficult decision, son. In times like this, you have to learn to trust your heart. Trust your heart, sweetie. So the boy takes this thought and he goes, okay, heart, what's it going to be? Sin. (laughs) Am I overselling it? Consider these words. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy. Jesus literally says here, the evil eye, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Uh, Friends, what could purify a heart? If sin comes from inside of us, what can change us from the inside out? Friends, if you've never heard the message of Christianity, it's simply two messages. And we like to say this here at our church. The message of Christianity is very simple, friends. It's this, cheer up. You and I, we are worse than we think. (laughs) The odiousness of our sin stinks. And we've just gone nose blind. We're worse than we think. But cheer up. You and I are more loved in Christ Jesus than we dare imagine. Both of those things are true. Our hearts are envious and still mercy is alive. And God is moving towards you and I in love. Listen to the way that Titus, uh, Paul's letter to Titus will explain the gospel. I love this. This is Titus chapter 3 verses 3 through 7. Paul writes, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and envy. And Paul didn't even have social media when he wrote these words. Can you believe that? Hated by others and hating one another. Think about our friend. You make me sick. But the great news of the gospel. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Friends, what's the goal of your life? What's the goal? What's the purpose of your, more things, more experiences, more trips, more vacations, more people getting in your way? Friends, what the good news of Jesus Christ has the audacity to claim is that life is fundamentally about love and mercy. Knowing the God who loves us, knowing the God who knows our hearts are full of envy and malice and adultery and all of those wickedness and all of that sin. And still he yearns to pour out forgiveness and mercy on people like you and me. He never tires of showing mercy. God never tires of forgiving. And yet he sees all of our sin. The goal of life is simply to know God, to be reconciled to him, to repent of our sins so that you and I can become who we were always meant to be, which for the record is not to take over your friends' romantic relationships or good looks or anything. The purpose of life is not to envy one another. The purpose of life is to know God's mercy and to grow into his mercy, to be like Jesus. That's what life is about. You want a happy life? I know you do. Jesus offers you a happy life, but happiness is not just in good things. It's in being blessed. See, in in the Bible, blessed and happy, they're the same word, makarios, and Jesus promises you blessedness, but it comes in a unique way. Jesus says these words, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Do you think your heart produces envy or do you want your heart to produce mercy? Well, what is the virtue of mercy? If we've understood envy now, we've heard the gospel, what is mercy? What is the virtue of mercy? Mercy is simply having compassion on someone. It's helping someone in need. Mercy can move us to give alms to the poor. It also shows concern for the people around us in their need. It's kindness, right? Uh, Thomas Aquinas wrote a lot about mercy and virtue, and he sort of summarized it this way. I think this is a great summary, and it compares envy and mercy. Think about it this way. Envy is what goes through our hearts when we resent the good fortune of others. But mercy grieves over the misfortune of others. And then it acts Mercy is an action. God grieved over our sin. God grieved over the mess we had made of our world. And God grieves over the mess that we make of our lives and our relationships. And so God acted. He moved towards us in love. He moves towards you with mercy and love. And when you actually let that break through your heart of pride and envy and greed, it changes you forever. You're born again. You become who you were always meant to be. Instead of envy, your heart starts to produce mercy because you have received mercy. Let me finish with just a a simple story, if that's okay. Uh, Jesus loved to tell stories. Uh, Jesus' longest story he ever told Uh, You've probably heard of it. It's the parable of the prodigal son. This is Luke chapter 15. But actually, the story of the prodigal son could also be called 
the story of the two lost sons. Because although we all know the story of the young son who goes off to Portland and loses himself and then finally makes his way back to the Rogue Valley one day, groveling. If you were to look at Luke chapter 15, there is another character in this story that we often miss. So one son goes off, you know, he takes all the inheritance, he wishes his dad was dead, he takes all the money, he goes off to a far country and squanders all of it, he finally hits rock bottom, and then he decides to come back home. Well, of course, you know the story of the prodigal son, what does the father do? The father had been waiting for the first moment of repentance from the son, the first turning. And as the son is walking back home, the father runs to the son and embraces him brings him back into the family, makes him a son again, puts his ring on his finger, and he throws a party. And Jesus says, that's what God is like. But there's another character in the story that we often forget about, but it's what the whole story is about. There's an older brother. Anyone here an older sibling? The older sibling never went to Portland. He never went to the far country. He never partied too hard. He was a dutiful older brother. And when his younger brother had been forgiven and brought back into the family, what do you think the look was on his face? Rembrandt painted this famously. This is Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal. To the right of the painting stands whom? rigid, right? I think that's why he has a staff in his hand. I never screwed up like this. In the parable, he says, this son of yours, he squandered all of your money on women and partying, and you bring him back. You know what the evil eye looks like? It looks like that. When you look at that painting, we can pull it back up. If you look at that painting, friend, you think about your life. Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like the merciful father welcoming the son? I'll, there's so much to this story. I love that the father never goes to the far country. He waits till the son turns it around and then he runs to him. But do you want to be a person marked by mercy, compassion? Or do you want to be like the self-righteous, envious brother? How do you become like the Father? Let me ask it a different way. Does your heart produce envy apples or mercy apples? I guess it depends on whether or not you really believe Jesus walked out of that grave and what you intend on doing about it. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you did walk out of that tomb, that you poured out your mercy. Lord, that you are rich in mercy. And because of the great love with which you loved us, you saved us, not by works done in righteousness, but according to your mercy. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you have washed away our sins, that we got to see the sacrament that reminds us of your mercy. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for your outpouring, and we also ask now in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that from here on out and forever, we would be people who know your mercy 
and your kindness, your embrace. And although we remember what life was like in the far country, would we know and trust that life with the Father is always better? And Lord, we ask that we would become people of mercy. Lord, that we would know what those words mean. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Lord, with your mercy at the front of our mind, we bring to you now those who are suffering and in times of need. We think of Lynn Boning, John Schmidt, John and Penny Esser, Phoebe Allstad, Cal Pipel, Randy Templeton, Sean McCoy, Harry Gilg, and Paul Deller, and all those who are going through suffering, recovering from surgery. Lord Jesus, have mercy on each one of them. Give them hope, give them endurance, and give them strength. Uh, Lord, this Easter morning, we thank you that we can celebrate you. Lord, that we can gather for worship and that all over this valley, people are praising the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, with that in mind, we give you thanks and praise for Brownsboro Community Church. And Lord, we pray that this morning, the dead would be awakened to life. Lord, that the gospel would be real to them. Lord, that you do a mighty work in and through that church and through its people. And lastly, Lord, we continue to pray this month for the Medford Gospel Mission. And Lord, we pray that our church would be full of mercy, uh, both in our attitudes, but also in the work of our hands as we work alongside them at their main ingredient restaurant. Lord, would more and more people have eyes to see the poor and hurting around them. And Lord, would we extend mercy even to them. Lord, we ask all of this in the only name that could bring it about, in the name of our Savior and God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.